Welcome to another edition of the Grassroots Government Podcast. I'm Avery Davidson. Joining me are producer Carl Wiggers, Andy Brown, the National Affairs Coordinator for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, and lobbyist Joe Mapes, who does things for us over at the state capitol. And Carl, you got your hand I've up like an you're in grade school. I've got an announcement. This is our, we've been doing this for a year now. Oh, wow. Andy reminded me the other day, we've... We hit the, was it a year ago? Like last what, week. Last I think. week, maybe, yeah. or this so, week. So yeah. we've been on as long as COVID. Great. Yeah, we Now we know right the source, the source of COVID, the Grassroots Government Podcast. Also, also, I think this is the first time we've all been back together in one room. Yeah, because last time probably, Joe was on the phone. Probably since one of those first episodes, right? Yeah, I mean, so. it's kind of, kind of wild. Last announcement. Andy's a dad now. Yep. Yay, congratulations, That's Andy. Now we know what he did during quarantine. Well, next time I'll bring uh, Miss Evelyn Grace, and she can have a microphone and cry into it and be fussy for everyone at home to hear like I've been hearing. So, Aww. no, it's good times, but thank you, Carl. Exciting times on Brown Road, for sure. For yeah, sure. We're, we're happy for you and Kayla. I mean, that's it's just amazing. I, I know the sleep isn't there yet, and I, I, I'm going to tell you now, it's coming in about 28 years. Mm, okay? Wow. So, in about 28 years, you'll start to get, get sleep. Sleep again. We're getting there. <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're happy that we've got everybody back together in one room, that we're, we're starting to get things back to some sense of normalcy as shots get in arms. I know, uh, you know, we're, we're finding out uh, just uh, how this process is going. But where we're seeing that process really hit is at the Louisiana State Capitol, because just found out recently about $5 billion coming to the state of Louisiana, Joe. That's right, Avery. $5 billion. I think it's 3.1 goes to the, of the million goes to the state's budget. Uh, the remaining 1.9. 3.1 yes. of the billion. Of the billion, yes. You said million. Okay. With a B, okay. Uh, goes to the state's budget and 1.9 goes to the, uh, the municipalities. And the money is designed to help rebuild the infrastructure. And so that should help with that portion of the budget, which is large. Um, we're not going to have a transportation fuel tax that passes this year. I probably shouldn't be saying that, but <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's coming, and uh, I'm not sure. I, I can tell you that the governor has expressed that this is not the time mm-hmm. um, on that tax, and and uh, uh, there's other groups, and I didn't mean to segue into that, but that's a whole different story. But, you know, you talked about that money coming into the state budget. A lot of times we've used one-time money to fill budget holes for recurring expenses. What about tax reform and tax issues? Do you think that's still going to happen in this session? No, it's, it's a fair question. I think the answer is yes, but probably we don't feel the severity of the need of having that reform as much as we you know did before we received, knew we were going to get the $5 billion. Uh, so I would say, yes, it's going to have an effect. Look, if you go back to Romer, Buddy Romer as governor in 91 you know, with tax reform, it's, it's ugly, it's messy, it's emotional. If you squeeze you know, one tax base, which means if you take away a sales tax exclusion, for example, okay, those needs, those services are still attached to that exclusion or that exemption. Okay? So you've got to make that up. And if you don't make it up, uh, that's where your financial problems come in. Is that what we saw with the Steli plan, like that Steli tax, kind of that it, it has that 
once it goes away, it, it has to come from somewhere else, kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it, is that's it different. An, I mean, no, no, no different? that's an excellent point because if you the Stelly plan generated about four hundred million dollars per year. If you go back to two thousand and eight, which is when I think that we re- repealed that, but whenever it was, ever since then, you can see a four hundred dollar deficit in the budget moving forward, which creates the deficits that we now have. So yes. And I don't know why we repealed that, because I didn't want it to go in when it went in at the time, but I never noticed it. After it went in, I never noticed it. And uh, I, you, I just know we've talked about that before on grassroots government segments two, three years ago, and that sounds like kind of what you're talking about as far as that. I mean, it, it was one of those things, and once you take it away, it has to come from somewhere else, or it, that leaves, it, leaves a hole. And that's a simple fundamental that you think a lot of people would understand. But we're traveling the state right now with the assessors and with the legislators all in one group and the sheriffs and everybody in one room. And we, when we make that simple point that if you make one change here, you know, to over here, you've got to make another change somewhere in the middle or on one or the other because it's going to be affected. OK, so the point being. Uh, it's just a fundamental. A lot of people need to understand at the legislature, you can't just go in with a, a personal policy or a party party policy and say, I'm for slashing taxes and just start slashing taxes. It doesn't work that way. You slash your tax, you still have a need. You still have a service that has to be addressed. That revenue stream has been taken away. It's got to come from somewhere, you know, so, or we'll have a bigger problem. So what do you think is going to come up as far as taxes during this session? Every tax you've ever heard of. I, I know this because we've <laughs> talked about we've talked about it with all the legislators. We're talking about inventory tax, franchise tax, corporate tax. We're talking about uh, we're going to look at the use value, which, you know, we, we mm-hmm. try to keep silent on that. But, you know, they're saying they want to throw everything on the table and look at it. And guys, I say, fine, bring it on. Is agriculture special? Is agriculture special? Say that ten times real fast. Yes, agriculture is special, and it'll give us a chance to prove that. To sit down and say, yes, we deserve use value. We need use value to stay competitive. And here's what it is, and here's why we need to keep it that way. And I'm going to make the argument for why agriculture is special, and it's because we have the jobs we do because we're not outgrowing our own food. Okay, we're not having to worry about whether some drought is going to come take out all our crops, or you know, we're going to lose all of our strawberries to the, uh, a bunch of rainfall okay so it's in the the interest of society to keep agriculture going that's Joe, right you did a pretty impressive uh, survey we did didn't we you? did a survey recently and the results came in four out of four people eat food so we were really impressed with those results and we and we feel like that does make us special because it applies to everybody and there's very few things in this world that apply evenly and across the board to every single human on this planet, and food is one of them that does. And the fifth one died of starvation. <laughs> so, um, but whenever you're dealing with these kinds of issues, and you have uh, something like this COVID relief bill that brings money into the state, how does that affect the politics of things, and how does that work when it comes to issues that you're, you and Andy are trying to address? Well, it, you know. I joke with uh, friends of mine that become chairman of the money committees, the appropriations committee or whatnot. If we have money in the state, I joke that, you know, the average human walks at two to three miles per hour, but the average appropriations chair walks at five to six miles per hour because everybody's trying to get to him to get some money. Right now, they're like slowing down because they don't have any friends. You know, they're waiting up for people to talk to them. But the point is, uh, it does change things. Now that the COVID money's come in, you can almost feel a a sense of relief in the rooms. We were with legislators and assessors yesterday that the money's coming. Now, uh, we were with 
three different, two different senators, uh, one senator and a rep yesterday, and they talked about the hope that the legislature is going to use this money not as one-time expenditures, as has been done in the past, but pragmatically as possible so that they can set up structured programs. Now, mm. that, that, that remains to be seen. You know, well, because think about it when you get a, a tax return at your house or you get some unexpected money. It sure is tempting to go spend it on something new, bright and shiny or something fun that you've been waiting on. So, I, you know, that's always a temptation, even when you put it in government terms and in any governing body, that when you get this fresh pot of money, it's burning a hole in their pocket and they got to find somewhere to, to put it. That's a good point. And they're all wanting to send news back home that they're doing good things That's for right. the district and good things for the state. And, you know, we get that. But hopefully uh, they will take into consideration that this is one-time money, you know, and hopefully that's true, too. No more pandemics, right? And this is a bill that passed Congress without any Republican support. And I know that uh, whenever you're working okay. issues in Washington, D.C., you, you a lot of times you're you're trying to just address that issue, but you're you're having to navigate something new, Andy, with uh, with this new administration and this new majority in in the House. Well, I, I've been quiet over here because I'm listening to things that uh, some days I wish I had the luxury to talk about, which is budget and being considerate of taxpayer dollars because there's very little of that in Washington D.C. anymore. The same dynamics are in place of of appropriations committees and how you get things funded and you know how you navigate tax issues. All those go to the you know to the national level as well, but um, unfortunately we don't you know we're so far removed from a balanced budget that really it's more just of fighting for those take home things with a a message that sounds good on reciprocated news more than it is about solving issues all the time. So, and that's not not exclusive to the party that's in power now. It, it's both sides, and you see they're in a supermajority because they have a lot of things politically and in, in in the news that people decided in November that they wanted to try to tackle. Mm -hmm. But uh, when it comes down to creating bills and creating legislation, it's not as easy as one moral message about climate or about taxes or about whatever uh it there's always another side to the story and joe and i were talking about that before we got on air that that a lot of times we sit in the middle and try to find those those pieces that bring both sides together but when you when it's one side in washington it's you know i'm young in my career uh doing this it's it's a new dynamic to figure out how you uh, it's not two trains crossing on the tracks. It's one train going real fast down the tracks right now. We're trying to figure out how to jump on. And I like that analogy, Andy, because it is a good, it's very good for the state one as well, all of government. I mean, we take the first three legislative sessions we had in Louisiana and since the pandemic, which we're in 2020, obviously, well, guess what? We suspended every rule we could possibly suspend. We had bills that usually take two to three weeks to pass in a regular legislative session. We're pat, you know, they were in committee the day after they were filed. They were on the House floor the day after they were in committee. And we had legislators that would get angry with us. Why are you opposing my bill? Well, it affects an entire industry or an entire profession. They just want a little chance to vet it, maybe, and see how it affects them. You know, so we'll be coming to the. But we're still, I like your analogy, we're, we're on a runaway freight train right now. We are not two trains passing in the night. Well, and there's a lot of that going on in Washington, too, of floating ideas and to see how far they can get with them. Uh, particularly, yeah. like I said, right now it's all based on 
campaign platforms and those priorities and they're trying to establish that messaging if it's a bill that's not getting anywhere which most aren't uh it's still putting it out there and it's it's you know edging that line a little further each time that you push this message about whatever your your ticket to ride is on this train so it's really we went from a a time period the last four years where there's been you know uh a lot of (laughs) The lights just went off in the studio because Joe Mapes bumped the, the button. Well, I, I was worried uh, Farm Bureau hadn't paid their light bill for a second. but Not uh, the case. Thankfully. We got a generator. <laughs> well, back to Washington. Uh, yeah, so it's it's a matter of you know still trying to work ag-based priorities for, from our organization, our policy, and find uh, ways to work them into these huge bills. There's been periods in in you know state uh, bills and in, in Washington DC where it's bill after bill just hundreds of bills and you find little things that you tweak here and there and they're just passing legislation left and right well then it trends that's you know more of your earmarks and and a lot of detailed work well now it seems like even even in the prior administration there's so much angst and turmoil and they can't get anything done so then you have all these priorities that get lumped into these giant bills or an omnibus as they like to call it it seems like in the last year the only time i've come in here with deliverable news is because omnibus something or other passed finally and uh it it ends up growing into such a huge package that it's really hard to understand it's hard to navigate and so you just slice out a few priorities that you try to work and get in and and honestly that's where we're at right now with uh with some tax issues with uh with disaster certainly uh still recovering and and the more these omnibus bills drag on the more needs there are and the more that that just piles up yeah i mean we're still dealing with multiple disasters here in louisiana uh how do you get that in front of a congress that isn't focused on that and we're getting farther removed from laura yeah, and Delta. we're still dealing with 2020 disasters right well we're really pro- program wise still dealing with 2018 and 2019 disasters those funds have been appropriated and the bills have passed but then you have a whole other level with the federal government at the agency that has to interpret and rule make and uh, deliver that down to the parish level you know it's just a it's a monster to try to get something. Andy, uh, have you ever wondered, do we really need all those new laws going on all year long in Congress? Well, that's that's uh, we, we already talked about budgetary woes and uh, a deficit in Washington. So that that all uh, plays into that. But um, we do need disaster relief and we do need assistance. And it's really hard right now to find a place to get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have bills that have dropped that we're supportive of, but you just wait your turn in line. I mean, unless you can tie it, like I said, to one of these priorities. So what do we do? It's a stretch, but um, whether you agree with it or not, uh, maybe you can tie disaster relief to climate change and a bill that deals with climate change, because there are some that would attribute you know, our 2020 disaster year to climate change. I'm not saying we do or don't, but I'm just telling you that when you're trying to attach some real help to some real people back home, you got to get on board with some of these priorities and use some of this language. Kind of like the uh, farm bill. Well, and then it it ends up, you look at estate taxes or, uh, or even disaster relief, sometimes you just punt and say, well, we'll deal with it in a 2023 farm bill because you know in 
21, you're not going to get any traction on it. So, Did you take any classes in college that had to do with creative writing? Because <laughs> it sounds like it's real, creative, real creativity coming into play with some of this. Joe and I were visiting about the life of a, a lobbyist before and that we connect dots. And uh, it does take the skill of uh, working with people and working with words and uh, people's emotions and people, what what gets them excited to drop a bill, what gets them motivated to represent an issue because it takes emotion and it takes effort to get those things through a process that is ugly and is, you know, political and mudslinging, all those things you see on your five o'clock news commercial. Uh, those don't happen every day, but they're in the background that, you know, when you're in the chamber, you don't want to do something that's going to create a commercial back home. So it's it's not what you see on TV, but then it is that you, you know, you don't want to have those issues creep in when you're trying to get business done. And I know one issue that's been emotional for our farmers and ranchers is the estate tax. I know that it, it it's gone up the amount of money you have to have in in, you know, being passed down before it triggers the estate tax, but that's still could destroy family farms here in Louisiana. There are, what, two bills before Congress right now that would eliminate the, the estate tax? Yeah, they. I don't know the number now because they've had a, a handful of them that have dropped this week. But this just goes to show that some things do uh, cross party lines, and there can be a, a middle ground because the exemptions that we have now on estate taxes came from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was a Trump administration priority. Well, that has a sunset provision, whether or not we get uh, a new, uh, we, we would like to see it just totally removed, estate taxes done away with, but uh, this exemption did help. So, you know, do you cut a deal to remain at that level or create a different exemption? And it, that's the, the waters you have to navigate to try to find what people are willing and not willing to do. But just because it was Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and that has the Trump sticker on it, well, now it's up for debate again uh, You know, in 2021 because we have a change in administration and they don't like anything with a Trump sticker on it. So uh, while it has very little to do with party lines and uh, red states and blue states, um, you know, Everybody pays taxes despite your your color affiliation uh, on an election map. So we would love to see that removed because both parties can agree we love to know where our food comes from. We want to have family farms. We don't want corporate-owned farms. Well, guess what helps you keep a family in a farm? Or, excuse me, a farm in a family. That's the ability to pass it down to that family member without them being taxed almost half of it when they when they die. I want to give it to their child or grandchild or niece or nephew. You know, think about that. If you have an inheritance that you've worked your whole life for, and it just so happens not to be in a four hundred one k or a you know a Roth IRA, it's in a a few acres of dirt. Um, that's that's still a value that should be able to be passed on that you've worked for. Well, and that also, just for some perspective for anyone maybe that's not a farmer listening to this, like that, I think that there's a huge threshold, like lots of millions of dollars, right? Where, yeah, 11 million. Yeah, which some may be like, well, that's that's someone rich. That's not that crazy when you think of a decent-sized farm and the amount of acres and land and the value of the assets. I mean, that's a pretty standard-sized farm probably if I had to – if I had to guess, right? I mean, is that well? Uh, 
you know, when you aggregate all farms, most are below, you know, the the average size of a farm in Louisiana is still under a thousand acres and things. But when you look at the numbers as to what it does, the exemption went from five and a half million to eleven and a half. Well, the price of land has been going up forty to sixty percent, depending on what kind of land you know over the last ten years. Mm-hmm. All these numbers are to say it's a lot easier to, in today's time to reach to reach that, that five and a half million dollar cap than it would be to reach that eleven and a half. So um, when acres are you know getting passed along, the value is there. It may not be cash value, but it is paper value, right. and that's what taxes are based off of. I mean, six combines get you to five and a half million. Twelve cotton pickers get you to 11 million. I mean, let's put some things that people can see and give that some perspective. You know, that's we're talking about land values as well, things that are important important to, yeah, these to be are, able to go on. This is all a matter of what you work for, what you earn as a business person, and what you want to do on your land. And that's something we always uh, work for with this organization is to protect that landowner's rights to be able to do what they want to do on their land and get the most out of that land that they possibly can, and then also have that ability to pass that value on to that next generation. And I know one thing that has come up here in Louisiana that's been a real hot-button issue, the establishment of some of these solar farms. We've seen them in West Baton Rouge Parish, Point P, Tangipahoe Parish. Joe, what seems to be the, the sentiment at the state capitol? And, you know, it's a fine line to talk about, you know, what people can and can't do with their, their own land. Yeah, sure. Well, as far as Farm Bureau is concerned, and y'all know this, we're about property rights, landowners' rights first and foremost. So there's not much we can do here <clears throat> other than educate our membership, you know, and other sister organizations uh, as to what goes on uh, with a, a contract in a solar farm. You know, we need to try to educate them as as buyers, you know, uh, before they get into the contract. Educate me real quick. What's happening in... Louisiana, what are they discussing? Are they trying to open that up for more solar farms to come into the state? Or uh, I've what's, heard, what's happening? I've heard that, that, that there is legislation that would broaden that, uh, something to the effect of them establishing their own uh, electrical grid. Okay, So I haven't seen that bill, but I've heard that rumor uh, from some pretty good sources. Right now, uh, you know, most of your utilities are regulated by the, the uh, Public Service Commission, and Solar is to some degree, but, you know, we just feel like we need to advise our, our, our landowners, our members. Well, and you're, you're really seeing, Carl, a lot of this is proactive preparing for what is anticipated as a yes. large amount of federal dollars getting pushed down state level, local level. Very good point. Green energy the, stuff. Yeah, I mean, you've we've all heard it. Climate change, climate We're policies. We're headed in that direction, that's right. Everything at the United States Department of Agriculture that you've heard over the last three months has been all about climate change. So there's a lot headed that direction. And there's a lot of requirements for companies by 2025 to have X amount percentage of solar, uh, you know, of their footprint. And on some levels, it creates an uneven playing field because if someone is getting federal money to establish a business or an industry like what's proposed to happen with with solar farms and or they receive a property tax exemption through ITEP, 
that that do, that's that doesn't put you on equal footing with a sugarcane farmer. It doesn't put you on equal footing with uh, an established business that might want to lease that land for timber purposes for any other purpose. Well, I think it may be a little bit of our, you know, not speaking for for what's going on at the state capitol, but just in general, when something's happening so fast and all the rules aren't written from top to bottom or you don't know what dollars are getting doled out where and it's just kind of a gold rush right now of of everybody thinks there's this big money in solar coming, so they're all trying to be the first ones. Well, um I think you know Joe said it. We're trying to educate our members on well, it, being first is not always best. You might be the first one in and the first one out if you don't know what you're getting into with contracts or with agreements with tax incentives. So, uh, we're you know sometimes you gotta just pump the brakes a little bit and see what you're you're looking at before you go legislating or private contracting. Joe, are you working with some of these? I mean, I say working with. As a lobbyist in the state, at the state level, you're work. You're probably interacting with energy companies and you know all these grids. What's kind of your interaction right now with in those in those worlds? Yeah, so we're working with the utility companies. Uh, you know, Swepco, Clico, Entergy. We're also working with the chair of uh, revenue and fiscal in the Senate. He's actually a farmer, Brett Alon. Okay, and we're we're talking with the Sugar League, which they have the same goal as we have, which is to educate our members. I mean, that's really all we can do. You know, uh, as far as it comes to the ITAP, um, I'm aware that there was an article that you printed, Avery, last week in the Hammond Star that the Tangipahoa Parish Council passed an ordinance which put a moratorium on the use of the ITAP program, I think, for the solar program. And I think the purpose was to study the economic feasibility of that so I, I don't. I'm not saying that that's anything that's being done at the Capitol. I'm just telling you that was done in Tangipahoa. I'm really ignorant. Clearly, I'm as we're all discussing this, and for all the listeners out there, I'm sorry. Franklin Parish Education. It's okay, Carl. Leave me alone. Um, <laughs> I tip. What's what is that? Is that a? Federal? It's called Industrial Tax Exemption Program. Okay. And it's a program uh, designed to incent industry and companies to come, you know, be based here in Louisiana and do business here. In so Louisiana. it's a Louisiana. Uh, incentive? Yes, it is a Louisiana program and it gives tax exemptions uh, at a pretty high rate. It, t- it gives tax exemptions at a very high rate to, to corporations that stay in Louisiana. Well, and that's really what I meant when I said a gold rush and all these funds. They're all going to have an acronym and they're, it, it may not be uh, direct dollars going to a, a business. It may be dollars that they get to keep from a tax incentive. And, uh, you know, to be transparent, it, Farmers are looking how they can get in on, you know, some of this uh, profitability, too. If if we're going to be asked to adhere to certain levels by a certain time, like Joe's been saying, um, you know, really what American Farm Bureau is looking at is how, you know, sequestering carbon in the soil. And if, if the government's going to push us this way, we, we first don't want it to be mandatory. We want, you know, a free system our country's built on. But if if you want to opt into this or if you're already doing practices that are doing this, which most farmers are, um, it needs to be something that, like we said, is, is somewhat of a level playing field, is things that anybody and everybody can have a chance at. It's If it's government driven, it's got to it's got to have some of these uh, 
like I said, some of these things answered before you just roll it out and whoever gets there first wins. And I know one group that is interested in working with these solar farms, the beekeepers. They are. Tell me a little bit about that, Andy. Well, we're uh, it's it's an idea from other states, but just uh, bringing it back to Farm Bureau and our structure, um, a beekeeper committee is, is seen in other states where uh, solar farms... Uh, it's it's not. I don't know if you've driven past the ones in West Baton Rouge or in the state, but yeah, I've seen the, it. they're not the prettiest of uh, roadside uh, attractions. So if you're going to have a lot of solar farms, there's a lot of or well, there's there's strips in between them that are kind of no use, no value. So the beekeepers see that as an opportunity to plant wildflowers and other things that are a little prettier to look at, but are also beneficial to their their beehives as a food source so that's nothing that's necessarily in the works but it's something that they would like to see put into works and it can be a win-win for an energy company to have less maintenance cost but also uh you some know good leave a good green footprint and a good pr footprint some so, good buzz some there you go ah, right sweet. there there's that's the headline sweet. sweet as honey i tell you <laughs> well I tell you what, we've we've learned a lot. We're at about the 30-minute mark, and I'm up against a carpool deadline, okay? Just full disclosure, so... Uh, See where Avery's priorities are today. Yeah, exactly. Kids. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, You're going to learn one day, Daddy. <laughs> You're going to learn. You're next. Yeah. You're next. Well, with, so, uh, we really just cracked the egg today. There's a lot more of this coming. There's a lot of uh, things, you know, these climate change things and all this is more to come. The The COVID page, I feel like, or the fun, the funding is is turning, but uh, a lot of these other things, tax issues, climate issues, Joe, you and I both are going to be dealing with them in a short legislative term in the state versus here on and forever like our federal government likes to, to legislate. And that's where it helps to have a grassroots organization like Louisiana Farm Bureau, where you have a team, Joe Mapes, Andy Brown, everybody else in the commodity department and our volunteer leadership working for that common goal so you know that right there is worth your membership so on behalf of joe mapes andy brown and carl wiggers i'm avery davidson thank you for joining us for the grassroots government podcast and remember if you're not at the table you're on the menu